0: Hi and welcome to another episode of monetizing knowledge. My name is Mel Telasekin. I'm your host and today my interview is with Adam Franklin. Adam is the co-founder of web marketing that works and he's also the co-author of a book of the same title. Adam's been in the, in the digital marketing space for about 13 years and now they focus wholly and solely on Businesses that are service based, but are high trust and high ticket item based businesses. And today we're getting to talk about the three pillars that he uses in his business to help his clients to build that trust so that they will then invest with those suppliers. So we get into the three areas they. LinkedIn is very key to this, email is very key to this and so is actual IP or creating of assets and so today Adam explains exactly what each of those are involved and also how they integrate together as well. I know you're going to enjoy this episode, let's get stuck into it. Great to have you with us Adam, thanks for joining me.
1: It's a pleasure Mel, thanks for having me.
0: Now, Adam, I came across you a few years ago, actually, you were speaking at the We Are podcast conference, we were both speaking there at the event, and I was really taken with your style of presentation, and your generosity in terms of giving of content. Um, So is that something that you do all the time? Is that part of your regular gig and something that you uh, encourage your clients to do as well?
1: Look, absolutely. I think the beauty of marketing is is helping people and and being generous with the knowledge and the IP that we've acquired and to be able to share that freely and generously has been a very effective marketing strategy um, as well as just a nice feeling to be able to help other people out.
0: Yeah, 100%. And, and what I think is really interesting too is that you, while lots of us are pushing the give, give information in return for an email address, you actually give a lot away for free with no opt-in as that sort of first touch point, Yeah.
1: Absolutely. I think that people need that chance to firstly get to know who you are without any sort of expectation that they need to give anything. And I like to have a lot of content that I call no risk, so they don't need to put their hand up and identify who they are with an email address or a name. They can simply watch a video or get a PDF download totally for free. And of course, eventually I do ask for people's email address as that relationship deepens, but I think it's really important to give freely and then actually provide the baby steps for people to go on if they're interested and at their own pace as well. So as the relationship evolves, certainly I give more and and probably ask for a bit more detail, mainly because I think originally I was literally giving away PDF downloads and templates on my website for free with no opt-in, and that was great. Um, and I do that through social media and at, at presentations and everything else. But at some point, there does need to be a value exchange where people do actually identify themselves so that you can communicate with them on an ongoing basis through email, particularly.
0: Yeah. Okay. And you've been doing this for quite a while, specifically working with service-based businesses these days. Um, can you give us a bit of background into how you got into this space um, and I guess how it's evolved in a you know, quick, quick summary of how it's evolved to what it is now and, and the work you're doing with those service businesses?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So today we're, we specialise in helping high trust relationship-based businesses uh, who sell high ticket products and services And that's been an evolution, but we've realized now that's the type of people that we can help the most, particularly because they have a lot of the ingredients in their business already, but they don't know how to either monetize their IP or they don't know how to leverage some of the digital marketing techniques that that we do. um, And we can help them apply that to their own business and we coach them through that whole process. But as you say, it hasn't always been that hasn't always been our niche. We, we started over 13 years ago in 2005 and we started as a digital marketing agency, essentially a web design company because back mm. then social media didn't exist as we know it today. And over the years as social media came out, we we learned all about that, we practiced it, we implemented it, and we worked with our clients and, and taught them what worked. And we moved, about the time our book came out in 2014, we decided to move to being a coaching and education-based company rather than an agency where we used to do it all for people. Now we find a lot more leverage and a lot more enjoyment coaching people and and teaching them how to do it themselves.
0: Yeah, and you've got three key pillars that you tend to walk your clients through or I guess guide them through. Can you walk us through those three pillars?
1: Absolutely. So what we found works well for these um, high-trust, high-ticket businesses is three pillars. The first is is LinkedIn because that's where people can actually connect with other people and form those relationships. Uh, The second pillar is IP or intellectual property. So helping clients unpack their IP, what's in their head, what's on their computer, all that stuff that they know but aren't necessarily sharing yet uh, because that's where you help educate people. And then the third pillar Is email marketing. And that's essentially where you convert people from being either a lead or a prospect to being a client. And so when those three pillars come together, when LinkedIn, your IP, and email marketing come together, it allows people, it allows you to be top of mind. It allows you to develop those high trust relationships and it helps you attract qualified leads. And so when those things all intersect, that's when clients can make those high ticket sales.
0: Mm, Okay. And so in terms of what comes first, is it about asset creation in the the IP side of things or do you look at building a profile on LinkedIn or connecting first? What's the order typically?
1: Well, look, it depends on the client. So oftentimes we look to identify the lowest hanging fruit. So Mm -hmm. a lot of companies might have some really good IP. It's just a matter of unpacking that. That might be where we start. Very often, though, it is focusing on LinkedIn as the starting point. And it's not always the case, but very often just updating the profile, working out um, who to connect with and how to connect with them in a meaningful, valuable way. Um, And also what to post on LinkedIn as well. That's typically the starting point but it really depends on on each client. We just aim for where we can get the biggest wins in the shortest amount of time and then gradually focus on different parts of our system because it's kind of like going to the gym. You can work out one muscle and then give that a rest and then focus on something else. So that's how we approach
0: it with our clients. Oh, that makes perfect sense. So tapping back in to those areas as you sort of, I guess, bring them up to the level they need to 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 complement the other. So then a question then about LinkedIn is that um, in terms of putting – content on LinkedIn, is that because high-ticket item, people who are going to buy high-ticket items or services are typically in the LinkedIn space or is it, or is it yeah, what, what's the thinking behind that?
1: Well, look, we tend to find that high-trust relationship-based business owners, they do actually spend quite a bit of time on LinkedIn and because it's a professional platform, it's a lot more acceptable, I guess, to be talking about work stuff. And people are a lot more comfortable doing so yeah. compared to, say, uh, Facebook for a lot of, yeah, high trust business owners. They don't necessarily want to be talking about their work stuff on, on Facebook. There is merit to doing that. But I think LinkedIn, we find, is the, the place to start. And interestingly, on LinkedIn, I think there's obviously hundreds of millions of users and only about half a percent of people actually post content to the platform Yet there's, I think, 20 or 25% um, of all the users are active on their daily. So people are turning to LinkedIn, but only a very small fraction of people are posting content. So it's a very powerful way to actually stand out from other people in your industry just by posting content, whether it's videos or articles or links. Uh, to stay top of mind and to build that trust
0: Mm. you know video I see obviously has gone through a big um, well video became available on LinkedIn not that long ago really I'm thinking probably is it eight nine months ago from uh, you know mid-2017 am I right Fairly yeah, roundabout, yeah. Yeah, and so then it's like it's prolific because it came out. It was sort of seemed text and image heavy, and now there's lots and lots of videos. So, what's the difference between you know there are people who promote on Facebook and they use video there or Instagram there. What's the difference in in terms of you know the content people want to be putting out on the LinkedIn platform in terms of video?
1: Look, I think the main difference. Um, I mean, the content that people post can certainly vary. I'm finding that the main difference between LinkedIn and, say, Facebook is that the reach on LinkedIn is just so much higher. We often hear people complain that Facebook makes you pay to play mm. or if you want even your own followers or fans or connections to see your video content, you actually need to pay them money. Whereas on LinkedIn, what I'm finding is that the exact same video that I put on Facebook that I, and put on LinkedIn I'm finding linkedin gets a reach that is not only reaching my direct connections but it's also actually reaching second and third degree people in my extended network so mm. i'm finding that on linkedin it can be 10 to 20 even 100 times more views and more reach than on facebook it feels very throttled on facebook and you actually have to pay money whereas LinkedIn has this huge, huge opportunity, particularly now, and that may change, but I'm finding that LinkedIn
0: mm. – um,
1: is really favouring videos and then providing a lot of reach for, for users.
0: Yeah, and even the engagement I'm seeing is is higher over on LinkedIn than Facebook. So even if it's just a like, you know, and the and the comment, it is definitely um, seems to be doing more more over there on LinkedIn um, where, we, where we need it to. I guess everyone's in that frame of mind to be accepting or receiving of that knowledge.
1: Yes, I think people are very open to... Um, watching videos and interacting with people, in, especially in a professional sense on LinkedIn, whereas they may be a bit more standoffish on Facebook um, because oftentimes people associate that with being a much more social platform for friends and family
0: mm. okay so i'm going to ask a few more questions about linkedin because i'm really interested in it so a lot of people i'm guessing aren't keen on doing video because well for probably a number of reasons It's that they've got to sit down and actually commit to doing it feel okay about doing it all that sort of stuff um is is it something that you you do in conjunction with articles for instance or you know you are you doing it across a Let's say you've got one piece of content. Are you doing a video? Are you doing a blog, an article? Are you posting on the same thing? What sort of mix are you suggesting people do at this point or what have you seen is working?
1: Well, what I like to do is is make life easier for myself, right? So you can have one piece of content and that often takes a fair bit of effort, time and resources and, and everything else and and thinking brain space, thinking space. So it seems silly just to put that one piece of content content in one format in one place because you put in all this effort why not distribute it across multiple platforms and in different formats so what i'm finding i personally like to create a valuable giveaway like a pdf and then what i'll do is i'll shoot a short video talking about it and then i'll offer to share it with people who comment or what have you Mm -hmm. but then i'll also embed that video on my blog I will also set up a landing page so that people can download that that giveaway straight from my website. I'll email a link to the video or to the download. I'll email it out to my subscribers. And oftentimes too, I'll even just get a, a, make a 3D graphic of the giveaway. And I'll post that as a picture, as an image post, uh, as opposed, or in addition to the video post. So that one piece of content can now be distributed in multiple different formats and then I'll typically use that same video or graphic on Instagram or mm. and, and Facebook as well
0: okay that makes that makes perfect sense then for somebody who let's say can't give away a template or um, a checklist or something to like that effect they're, they're doing more I guess storytelling side of things how would that be repurposed is it the same approach you do a video as well do an image put it across those platforms?
1: Look, you absolutely can. And a really good uh, content hack, I guess, is is using, like if you're telling a story, whether it's a video or a podcast or what have you, it's very easy to get either get that transcribed into words, obviously, uh, using a tool like rev.com. And so you can turn that into a blog post or an ebook, but also even just as simple as telling a story and having your Google Docs open and doing the voice-to-text setting on um, Google Docs, because then it does has a very accurate uh, transcription ability so that a lot of people, like me, find writing can take a lot of time, but talking through the idea comes a lot more naturally. And so when you actually have that transcription uh, voice-to-text thing working on Google Docs, you can explain it just like you were to a friend or a client and then, Google will then, at the end of that, have this document that's transcribed. And the beauty of it is that it, because you're actually talking as you normally would, when you read that, it feels very conversational and it feels very personal, just like someone is is literally talking to you, but but you're reading it. So it's a very powerful way to actually get um, a storytelling piece of content into a written Format as well
0: yeah I like that. I think that's that's really powerful because there's there's no better articles or no better um, uh, uh, blogs out there than when they sound like the person does in real life. It just connects so much better than say I guess too formalized language or you know overthought content that um, that can sometimes just take double triple the time to get out in the end anyway. Let's move on to talking about IP. So you mentioned a few things there. So some some helpful like t- uh, templates, some articles, some video content. Um, what else constitutes those assets that you're talking about?
1: Uh, look, oftentimes in addition to the things you've just said, uh, there's presentations. So whether it's a video interview like this, whether it's a present a webinar or even an in-person presentation like you mentioned at the start, we both spoke at We Are Podcast, to have recordings of those or slide decks from webinars or webinar recordings, those are all very valuable um, assets. And what we find with the high-trust relationship-based business owners is that they're very often presenting to small groups of people at a workshop or maybe even at a conference. And so actually um, realising that that IP is an asset, it's just in a presentation form, it's very powerful because not only can they invite people to watch it live, which is very good at amplifying that trust-building process, Mm. but they can make recordings of it. They can turn it into bite-sized chunks of information so that essentially prospects can access that information and educate themselves and take them on that journey at their own pace. Um, But as you record it and build that library of content, it's a very, very powerful way to share that IP. And essentially, of course, you can monetize it, of course, and drawing that line in the sand of what's mm. given away, what's given away in exchange for an email address, and what's paid for. Well, that's the beauty of, of actually having such a big library of content that you can then package it up in different ways. It's meaningful and valuable to the recipients.
0: You know, you bring up a really valid point and we do hear about the idea or the concept of, I guess, repurposing, um, I guess, more more commonly nowadays, but it's really tricky. Um, well, it's not tricky. I think it's just we do things for an event, let's say, like a workshop or whatever, and we end up um, not necessarily revisiting that. It's all sitting there. Um, what's your suggestion to, I guess, Organise what you have. What would you? I'm guessing you do this with clients already, but to to look at what you've got and actually then to determine what's going to then be something that sits behind um, an opt in or, or what sits at the front.
1: Yeah. So I think a lot of people are firstly scared of giving away too much information, and that's often the, the first hurdle that we face in terms of mindset with with clients. Yeah. Yeah. If what do you too say? Give too much away, then why are they going to come and engage my services? And what i think the difference is is that information is oftentimes free but people actually pay for results and so by giving away for example in an unrelated field but say you give away a training program of how to run a marathon well that's all well and good you can find that in lots of places on the internet but then actually running a marathon is is vastly different which is where you may then pay a personal trainer to do a customized training program for you or hold you accountable or help you in some way, get to those results that you want to.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Great example.
1: Yeah. So giving people, giving people a a checklist of the tools to use to do X, Y, Z is vastly different from them knowing how to actually use them and to get the results that they want. So for example, you might give away a checklist of tools for free, and then you might have a short video where they need to put in, say their um, email address, we talk through each one. And then there might be a paid version, a monetized version of that material where you actually give them, you know, behind the scenes um, tutorials on, on how to use it, what to say, how to do it to, to get the results. So I think mm-hmm. the what and the why can often be free, but the how to is often on the other side of that. Um, monetization wall, I guess, because that's when you're helping people get the results and people pay for results. But kind of information is reasonably free these days.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And the how-to is fantastic in that example of the marathon, for instance, where you might have, and I don't know because I've never done a marathon, but let's say a 20-week plan or a 12-week plan or a six-week plan um, so that people can actually opt in at that point point. Of um, where they're at, and then start working towards their goal that way. So you could potentially repackage or package different options based on on timeframes, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there can be. Oftentimes, it's the same. It's the same IP. It's just going into different levels of depth
0: yeah. and
1: accountability. Yeah. So yeah, the, the training program for free, a generic one versus maybe even a tailored one, depending on your fitness level and your timeline and current state of fitness or or lack thereof Um, yeah so it just gets more and more specific and more valuable I guess for the actual person who's in a position and ready to take action and see those results
0: and what do you say to people who say okay well great that's there for potential clients but it's also there for my competition to see
1: so that's a great question and one that we're asked by our clients a lot why would I give away information when my competitors might steal it and yes, that's a valid question, but when you think about it, a lot of the time we get lost in our own little bubble of, um, in our own little niche or industry, and we forget that most of our competitors actually know pretty much the same stuff as we do. We might have a few different things that we do differently that we may not want our competitors to know, but at the end of the day, our competitors are often too busy running their own business uh, to stalk you. Uh but the main thing to keep in mind is that there's so many uh, prospects and potential clients out there that the benefit far outweighs the risk. And if you're the person that shares this information and is generous and you are known for your content, it might not be any different to what your competitor knows. It might be you know, slightly better, hopefully. But the upside is that all these people can discover who you are, um, make few steps of progress based on the free content that you give away and they're much more likely to become your clients because you've been the one that has basically held their hand through that research and comparison stage of the buying journey and when you weigh up the, the value of the clients and the business that you can win versus the perceived threat of maybe a competitor stealing something the benefits far outweigh the risks and even if they do then come out and copy you well all all successful companies have imitators and have copycats and knockoffs. so if your product is good or your service is good and it's out there in the marketplace eventually well it's 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 you know saying flattery uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery people are going to knock you off anyway if you're good Mm -hmm. um so you should treat you know view that as a compliment rather than always hoarding your information going people might steal it off me To me, it's a much bigger opportunity to share, to be generous, and then that will help attract the right types of clients way more so than hoarding information and worrying about competitors
0: yeah exactly it's the it's the it's not our competitors that that uh get the clients in it's the it's the content that's out there for them to consume absolutely 100 percent. now then if we've got these different um i guess ways of distributing this helpful information from the beginning then how does uh email how do you use email to i guess tie all this in together
1: Yeah, look, uh, email is a a very important part of this um, high-trust marketing system in that email is where most people spend their day. All the productivity people say, you know, we shouldn't check email or have email open all the time. But the fact of the matter is most people do. And yes, they're on LinkedIn and other places, but email is the primary business tool still. And I expect it to stay that way for quite some time. And so to actually use email, whether it's, just having a regular newsletter that you might send out to everybody through a CRM or one-on-one personalised emails where you're interacting with your leads and your prospects and even your clients. That's often underrated because it seems too manual and doesn't scale enough. But the personal interaction with email is just super, super powerful. And when you think about it, most people are happy to receive a proposal or to sign off on a proposal via email and to be invoiced via email so it's definitely a very trusted business tool Um, but the other way that you can use email is through autoresponder sequences or lead nurturing emails so that when people do enter your marketing ecosystem or they put their hand up to say look I'm keen to find out some more well then you can send them a series of emails that educates them and guides them to the next step of the journey Um, and of course it's important to be asking the question as well. Like, are you ready to do business with me? Would you like to find out more? Would you like to book a call, come along to a seminar, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not about just free content all the time. You're guiding the right people to doing business with you because that's how you can help serve them even better. So yeah, certainly I would advise people not to be afraid of asking the question.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's really about, as you say, a lead nurture where there's, a, there's that sort of drip fed Communication to continue, I guess, the conversation and then eventually lead to the sale. So, then my question for you is how long is that lead nurture process? And I know some of our clients, for instance, feel oh, because email is such an overused and such a busy place, um, they're concerned that they're going to, you know, once a week is too much in terms of communications. What's your thoughts?
1: Um, okay, so in terms of the frequency, I'll address that. Look, uh, people do feel that it is a, a busy and overused platform, but, but that's because everybody's there. That's where we'll a, typically a lot of our attention is. So if you're communicating with people any less than once a week, I believe, I mean, sometimes people start with a monthly communication and then build up the courage to go fortnightly. But I recommend at least weekly, because it's so busy, people forget who you are. And if you only send an email every quarter, well, even if they've signed up for your communications, in 90 days' time they've completely forgotten who you are, mm. they don't know what you're about and your email might come into their inbox and they will either assume that you're spam or have forgotten who you are and what you do and, and not remember so they won't interact with you anymore.
0: Yeah, they uh, could so have, I certainly they recommend could have purchased at least already, weekly. Right? Yeah, purchased already, the deal's gone, the opportunity's lost too. Well, that's
1: right. That's right. I mean, oftentimes people are researching information online because they want to know more and they've they've got a problem. And if you wait 90 days to then communicate with them, well, yeah, the opportunity's gone. They've bought from somebody else. So I think it's our duty to actually keep in touch with people. It's like being a friend. You know, you want to maintain contact um, as opposed to just coming out of the woodwork every six months or so. Typically, you know, when you want something, if if you email people when you've got a new product, or it's time for renewal, you know, it's kind of not good enough. They want to hear from you on a regular basis. Um, And there's presumably lots of value that you can bring to these people with the IP that you've got, with the stories that you can tell. Um, Yeah, so at least once a week is what I would recommend.
0: Yeah, and I guess the great thing about that is that even though that might eventually become an automation, you can start, you can add to those sequences as you go. You could literally be creating content every week and then adding it to the automation.
1: Yeah, you definitely could. You definitely could if you wanted to. Um, Yeah, for sure. I mean, for the automation sequences, I like to, um, yeah, have a, depends on on the company, but between five and ten emails potentially where it's getting them up to a certain point and knowing if they're the right fit, how we help, delivering value, and then asking the question if they want to work. Uh, But by the same token, I think the first part of the question, as I recall, was, um, how soon do you want to make that offer? How long do you need to nurture them before you ask for the sale? And the thing here is that people are going to be at different levels when they join the list. So someone might be hot to buy, and so in which case you don't want to bore them with 20 lead nurturing emails and ask the question in two months' time because, again, as you say, that they'll have gone. Uh, so I think it's important with the email autoresponder sequences is to not slow people down if they're ready to buy. So you can have a call to action like PS. If you're ready to start working together straight away, hit reply and let me know, or visit this page to see if you're a good fit. But not everybody is at that point yet. So the people who are less hot or lukewarm or even cold, they may just be snooping around, finding out what's going on. So yes, having valuable drip fed information delivered to them is, is super useful and they may not buy from you for five or ten years but you're catering to to both uh all levels of, of how hot they are to buy so yeah i always like to have an offer or a call to action to find out more you know even on the very first email i send people um as, as well as the the, uh, the the content and everything else because yeah people are coming yeah. at all different stages and some people are just ready to go straight away
0: Yeah, I've seen that a little bit more now in some communications I'm receiving, and it actually, rather than one call to action, I guess there are three options, and it's like, oh, yeah, if you want to get more information about this, then click here. But if you know that you're already, well, actually, there was four different options. Right at the bottom was if you know you want to work with us like now, you know, click here, and then you know, two sort of interim levels, which was great because it was just covering all of the options right there and then, um, rather than yeah, sort of getting down getting down the line and uh and then maybe doing making a decision and these emails uh, i'm getting a uh, uh, you know twice weekly at, at like a minimum but super, yeah, high, so value, are, super high value, super high yeah at a
1: minimum that's that's a great frequency i believe um we used to do monthly you know 10 or ten or 12 years ago and, and gradually built up the frequency because again we had the same the same fears it would be annoying people that we would get more unsubscribes and all of that but in actual fact most i you mean know, if you're lucky, 20% of people open your email anyway. So if they don't open one, they might only open one in five. So that extra frequency is good because then they might actually be hearing from you
0: once a week or once a fortnight. Yeah. Um, and good the, Those email signatures,
1: they're, they're, really, um, they're really effective
0: yeah and good point about you know let's say what they don't get one email that might have some particular content in it and that's the value of repurposing right being able to use it on those other platforms i might not have consumed it here but i see it there or i might see it a couple of times but it reinforces um reinforces when i saw it previously in a different you know in a different medium
1: absolutely people might that's the beauty i think of being connected on different platforms like particularly email and linkedin they may miss you on email, but see you on LinkedIn, or they may see you on both, and, and in which case that's, that's really powerful because you're reinforcing uh, the message. So yes, picking a couple of social platforms to be active on, as well as email, I find that really keeps you top of mind, and that's like when that, that first pillar of LinkedIn overlaps with the second pillar of, of email, that keeps you top of mind, and that's one of the most important parts um, in terms of getting referrals and, and winning business, particularly for the high ticket sales.
0: Yeah, I like to look – if people are listening, I'd like – it suggests – to do this is unpacking what you'd like to engage with. I mean, I, I might, it's definitely going to be different depending on your client base, but I often look to other industries and say, okay, well, let's unpack exactly what they, they're doing and see how that could apply or have value in my business. So it is a bit of a trial and error thing, but if, especially when there's new, I guess, approaches that you haven't seen before, it's good to see if um, – have a bit of a test, I guess, and see if it works in your industry, especially if yours is more of a traditional industry. What do you think? Yes, I
1: think tri- traditional industries are right for the picking because they haven't necessarily come across some of these digital approaches and and that can have a huge amount of impact. Um, one other point I was going to make is that we often think that the longer people know us, the more likely they are to buy from us. But in actual fact, what I'm finding very often is that is that people tend to make their purchase decision in the first 30 days and, yes, people may buy from you five or 10 years down the track, and, and often some do, but when they turn to the web and when they turn to social media and download something or express interest in some type of content, they've actually got a problem they need solving and they want someone to help them solve it in the short term. Mm. And so actually being aware that new leads are very often the people that are going to become your customers much sooner than someone who's sat on your email list for three or four years um, so, yes, mm. taking that discussion to a purchase, um, buying conversation, not being high pressure or pushy or anything, but asking the question in a polite way is really important, particularly in that first 30 days of the um, lead coming into your ecosystem.
0: That's That sounds interesting. Sounds- Makes perfect sense because I guess that's that in investigation phase where people are, yeah, looking for all the answers to the thoughts in their mind or the worries, concerns, or, you know, they need a problem solved. And, yes, maybe they can't afford to buy it just yet, but, yeah, the decision-making happens at that stage. When I'm ready, this these will be the people we'll go with.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and even if they and they may even make that decision within the first thirty days and, and kick off an engagement with you.
0: Mm, yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Adam, thank you very much for sharing uh, your insights. This so much experience that you've had with this. I encourage people to go and have a look um, at the templates that you do have on your website there, Adam, Um, if people want to come and have a look at, go and have a look at bluewiremedia.com.au and you can follow Adam's great work there. And there's a whole bunch of resources that um, you can have a look and see if that's applicable to you. But if you want to follow Adam, you can also look him up on LinkedIn as well, Adam Franklin. Thanks for joining me, Adam. Really appreciative of your time today.
1: Thank you, Mel. It's always a pleasure chatting.